Section 2 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 12. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 12. Section 2. Selected Works by Franz von Ningelstedt, 1814-1881. Franz von Ningelstedt was born at Halsdorf, Hessen, Germany, June 30, 1814. He attained eminence as a poet and dramatist, but his best powers were devoted to his principal calling as theater director. His boyhood's education was received at Rütteln. At the University of Marburg, he applied himself to theology and philosophy, but more especially to modern languages and literature. After leaving the university, he became instructor at Ricklingen, near Hanover. He was characterized, even as a young man, by his political freedom and independence of thought. And at Kassel, where in 1836 he was teacher in the Lyceum, he was on this account looked upon so much askance that it was found expedient to transfer him to the gymnasium at Fulda, 1838. He resigned this position, however, in order to devote himself to writing. A collection of his poems appeared in 1838-45, to 45, and of these, Lieder eines Cosmopolitischen Nachtwachters, Songs of a Cosmopolitan Night Watchman, 1841, may be said to have produced a genuine agitation. These were not only important as literature, but as political promulgations, boldly embodying the radical sentiments of free-thinking Germany. In 1841, he went to Augsburg, connected himself with the Algemeen Zeitung, and traveled as newspaper correspondent in France, Holland, Belgium, and England. Das Wanderbuch, The Wander Book, and Jusque à la Mer, A Ringen aus Holland, As Far as the Sea, Remembrances of Holland, 1847, were the fruits of these journeys. He had in contemplation a voyage to the Orient, and preparatory to this he settled for a short time in Vienna. But the journey was not undertaken, for just at this time he was appointed librarian of the Royal Library of Stuttgart, and reader to the king, with the title of court counselor. Here, in 1844, he married the celebrated singer Jenny Lutzer. He returned to Vienna, where in 1850 his drama, Das Haus der Barnenwelt, The House of the Barnevelts, was produced with such brilliant success that he was thereupon appointed stage manager of the National Theatre at Munich. To this, for six years, he devoted his best efforts, presenting in the most admirable manner the finest of the German classics. The merit of his work was recognized by the king, who ennobled him in 1857. He was preeminently a theatrical manager, and served successively at Weimar, 1857, and at Vienna, where he was appointed director of the Court Opera House in 1867, and of the Berg Theatre in 1870. He brought the classic plays of other lands upon the stage, and his revivals of Shakespeare's historical plays and The Winter's Tale, and of Moliere's Oliver, the miser, were brilliant events in the theatrical annals of Vienna. He was made imperial counselor by the emperor, and raised in 1876 to the rank of baron. In 1875, he took the position of general director of both court theaters of Vienna. He died in Vienna, May 15, 1881. The novels Licht und Schachten der Liebe, 
The Light and Shadow of Love, 1838, Heptameron, 1841, and Novellenbuch, 1855, were not wholly successful, but in contrast to these, Unter der Erde, Under the Earth, 1840, Sieben Friedrich Erzolungen, Seven Peaceful Tales, 1844, and Die Amazon, The Amazon, 1868, are admirable. Regarded purely as literature, Dingelstadt's best productions are his early poems, although his commentaries upon Shakespeare and Goethe are wholly praiseworthy. He was successful chiefly as a political poet, but his muse sings also the joys of domestic life. House Leader, Household Songs, 1844, and his poems upon Jamiso and Uhland are among the most beautiful personal poems in German literature. A Man of Business, from The Amazon Herr Kraft was about to reply, but was prevented by the hasty appearance of Herr Herbolt, the first procurist, who entered the apartment. Not an antiquated comedy figure in shoe-buckles, coarse woolen socks, velvet pantaloons, and a long-tailed coat, his vest full of tobacco, and a goose-quill back of his comically flexible ear. No, but a fine-looking man, dressed in the latest style and in black, with a medal in his buttonhole having an earnest, expressive countenance. He was householder, member of the city council, and militia captain. The gold medal and colored ribbon on his left breast told of him having saved, at the risk of his own life, a Leander who was being carried away by the current in the swimming baths. His announcement, urgent as it was, was made without haste, deliberate and cool, somewhat as the mate informs the captain that an ugly wind has sprung up. Our principal, he said, the crowd has broken in the barriers and one wing of the gateway. They are attacking the counting-house. Who breaks, pays, said Kraft, with a joke. We will charge the sport to their account. The police are not strong enough. They have sent to the royal watch for military. That is right, Haybolt. No accident, no arms or legs broken. Not that I know of. Pity for Meyer Hirsch. He would have thundered magnificently in the official morning news against the excesses of the rage for speculation. Nor anyone wounded by the police? Not any so far. Oh, pity for Hirschmeyer. The oppositional evening journal has missed a capital opportunity of weeping over the barbarity of the Soldateska. At all events, the two papers must continue to write, one for, the other against us. Keep Hirschmeyer and Meyer Hirsch going. All right, Herr Principal. Send each of them a polite line, to the effect that we have taken the liberty of keeping a few shares for him, to sell them at the most favorable moment, and pay him over the difference. It shall be attended to, Herr Principal. So our southern railway goes well, hey, Bolt? By steam, Herr Principal. The sober man smiled at his daring joke, and Herr Kraft smiled affably with him. The amount that we have left to furnish will be exhausted before one has time to turn around. The people throw money, banknotes, government bonds, at our cashiers, who cannot fill up the receipts fast enough. On the bourse, they fought for the blanks. For the next four weeks, we will run the stock up, Haybolt. After that, it can fall, but slowly, with decorum. I understand, Herr Principal. A cashier came running in without knocking. Herr Principal, he stammered in his panic, we have not another blank and the people are pouring in upon us more and more violently. Wild shouts call for you. To your place, sir, thundered Kraft at him. 
I shall come when I think it time. In no case, he added more quietly, before the military arrive, we need an interference for the sake of the market. The messenger disappeared, but pale, bewildered countenances were to be seen in the doorways of the comptoir. The house called for its master. The trembling daughter sent again and again for her father. Let us bring the play to a close, said Herr Schraft, after brief deliberation. He stepped into the middle office, flung open a window, and raising his harsh voice to its loudest tones, cried to the throng below, You are looking for me, folks? Here I am. What do you want of me? Shares, subscriptions, was the noisy answer. You claim without any right or any manners. This is my house, a peaceable citizen's house. You are breaking in as though it were a dungeon, an arsenal, a tax office, as though we were in the midst of a revolution. Are you not ashamed of yourself? A confused murmur rang through the astonished ranks. If you wish to do business with me, continued the merchant, you must first learn manners and discipline. Have I invited your visit? Do I need your money, or do you need my shares? Send up some deputies to convey your requests. I shall have nothing to do with a turbulent mob. So saying, he closed the window with such violence that the panes cracked, and the fragments fell down on the heads of the assailants. The principal knows how to talk to people, said Haybolt with pride to Roland, the mute witness of this strange scene. He speaks their own language. He replies to a broken door with a broken window. Meanwhile, a company of soldiers had arrived on double quick, with a flourish of drums. The officer's word of command rang through the crowd, now grown suddenly quiet. Fix bayonets! Form line! March! Yards and passages were cleared, the doors guarded. In the street, the low muttering tide, forced back, made a sort of dam. Three deputies, abashed and confused, appeared at Kraft's door and craved audience. The merchant received them like a prince surrounded by his court, in the midst of his clerks in the large counting-room. The spokesman commenced, We beg your pardon, Herr Kraft, for what has happened. For shame, that you should drag in soldiers as witnesses and pacemakers in a quiet little business affair among order-loving citizens. It was reported that we had been fooled with these subscriptions, and that the entire sum had already been disposed of on the bourse. And even if that were so, am I to be blamed for it? The Southwestern Railway must raise thirty millions. Double, treble that amount is offered it. Can I prevent the necessity of reducing the subscriptions? No, but they say that we poor folks shall not get a cent's worth. The big men of the bourse have gobbled up the best bits right before our noses. They say so? Who says so? Court Cooper Towart? I ask you, who says so? Gracious Herr Court Banker, don't court or gracious me. My name is Kraft, Herr Hans Heinrich Kraft. I think we know each other, Master Talbert. It is not the first time we have done business together. You have a very snug little share in my workingmen's bank. Grainbroker Wurst, you have bought one of the houses on my street. Do I ever dun you for the installments of purchase money? No, indeed, Herr Kraft. You are a good man, a public-spirited man, no money-maker, no leech, no Jew, cried the triumvirate of deputies in chorus. I am nothing more than you are, a man of business, who works for his living, the son of a peasant, a plain, simple citizen. I began in a smaller way than any of you, but I shall never forget that I am flesh of your flesh, 
blood of your blood. Facts have proved it. I will give you a fresh proof today. Go home and tell the people who have sent you. Heinz Heinrich Kraft will give up the share which his house has subscribed to the Southwestern Railway in favor of the less wealthy citizens of this city. This sum of five hundred thousand dollars shall be divided up pro rata among the subscriptions under five hundred dollars. Heaven bless you, Herr Kraft, stammered out the court cooper, and the grain broker essayed to shed a tear of gratitude. The confidential clerk, Herr Lange, the third of the group, caught at the hand of the patron to kiss it with emotion. Kraft drew it back angrily. No self-abasement, Herr Lange, he said. We are men of the people. Let us behave as such. God bless you, gentlemen. You know my purpose. Make it known to the good people waiting outside, and see that I am rid of my billeting. Let the subscriptions be conducted quietly and in good order. Adieu, children. The deputation withdrew. A few minutes afterwards there was heard a thundering hurrah. Hurrah for Herr Kraft! Three cheers for Father Kraft! He showed himself at the window, nodded quickly and soberly, and motioned them to disperse. While the tumult was subsiding, Kraft and Rowan retired into the private counting-room. You have, the latter said, spoken nobly, acted nobly. I have made a bargain, nothing more, nothing less. Moreover, not a bad one. How so? In three months I shall buy at seventy, perhaps still lower. What I am now to give up to them at ninety. You know that beforehand? With mathematical certainty. The public expects an Eldorado in the Southwestern Railway, as it does in every new enterprise. The undertaking is a good one, it is true, or I should not have ventured upon it. But one must be able to wait until the fruit is ripe. The smallholders cannot do that. They sow today, and tomorrow they wish to reap. At the first payment, their heart and their purse are all right. At the second or third, both are gone. Upon the least rise, they will throw the paper, for which they were ready to break each other's necks, upon the market, and so depreciate their property. But if some fortuitous circumstance should cause a pressure upon the money market, then they drop all that they have, in a perfect panic, for any price. I shall watch this moment, and buy. In a year or so, when the road is finished and its communications complete, the shares that were subscribed for at ninety, and which I have bought at sixty or seventy, will touch one hundred, or higher. That is to say, said Rowan thoughtfully, you will gain at the expense of those people whose confidence you have aroused, then satisfied with objects of artificial value, and finally drained for yourself. Business is business, replied the familiar harsh voice. Unless I become a counterfeiter or a forger, I can do nothing more than to convert other people's money into my own, of course, in an honest way. And you do this without fearing lest one day some mightier and luckier than you should do the same to you? I must be prepared for that. I am prepared. Also for the storm, not one of your own creating, but one sent by the wrath of God, that shall scatter all this paper splendor of our times, and reduce this appalling social inequality of ours to a universal zero? Let us quietly abide this last day, laughed the banker, taking the artist by the arm. The Watchman The last faint twinkle now goes out 
up in the poet's attic, and the roisters in merry rout speed home with steps erratic. Soft from the house roofs showers the snow, the vane creaks on the steeple, the lanterns wag and glimmer low in the storm by the hurrying people. The houses all stand black and still, the churches and taverns deserted, and a body may now wend at his will with his own fancies diverted. Not a squinting eye now looks this way, not a slenderous mouth is dissembling, and a heart that has slept the lifelong day may now love and hope with trembling. Dear knight, thou foe to each base end, while the good still a blessing prove thee. They say that thou art no man's friend. Sweet knight, how I therefore love thee. End of section 2 Recording by Todd